Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is going to be February 22nd when this comes out. Uh, Tammy's not here this week. It's just me, and um, I know this is something I've been wanting to talk about for... It has been occupying my thoughts in a way that I don't... I understand because everyone's talking about it, but it makes me somewhat ashamed to think about it this much because I have somewhat skeptical thoughts about this, and I, then I sometimes feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't be so skeptical. All these smart people think it's really good or whatever, right? Or that they feel like the world is about to change. So to talk about what I'm talking about here is like chat GPT, AI, which is a term that I don't actually know what it means anymore. Um, the uh, sort of new Bing language machine or whatever that was that just came out and sort of this type of coverage that has happened in the media that I think I don't know how to characterize it because most of the writers who have written about it are writers I actually like a lot. And so I don't want to be too nasty about it, but I would say that I would disagree at least a bit about their sort of alarm about what this is. And to help me with this conversation, this is not going to just be me talking the whole time. To help me with it, I brought on my friend Ben Recht. Uh, Ben is a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at, at UC Berkeley. And he's been studying machine learning for about 20 years now. Hi, Ben. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I don't know, Ben, like, why, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more, more sure. than that here? No, I, like, I mean, uh, like, yeah. Tell me about when you started getting interested in, in this question, because I know it's one that, that you have been thinking about, writing about and you know studying for a while. Yeah. And it's definitely one of those things where, you know, we're on a similar wavelength with uh, skepticism of the current incarnation of whatever is happening. But yeah, I, I got into machine learning by accident as a graduate student. Um, just a good friend of mine told me I should take the class and I had been working on something completely different and I it kind of entranced me. And so I've off and on been working on machine learning and related to subjects for, you know, I guess, 20 years now. Um, it was funny because when I was in graduate school, AI was a dirty word. Um, it really was not something you were supposed to admit you worked on. Machine learning was fine. And somehow had distinguished itself from AI. What, what's the difference for like I, our... I, And like you said, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know what AI is. It's so funny. I think at the time, uh, you know, in the early aughts, AI really was trying to, it seemed a little detached from any kind of practical reality. Um, the things that people, yeah, maybe we should step back. Machine learning is, in my mind, very easy to define. Machine learning is just how to make predictions from examples. So like, you know, you gather all the email that's ever come through your system, you mark the ones that have been spam, and then now you have some new machine that can take a new email and tell you if it's spam. That's like what classic thing that people were doing 20 years ago, and still we run those today. But, or, you know, you could do more interesting things like um, collect lots of uh, health record data and maybe be able to do better diagnoses by predicting um, which patients might develop cancer based on patients who have similarly come through your um, your clinic before, right? So there, there's lots of things you could do with that kind of just prediction uh, mindset. AI is this weird thing that is so m much more nebulous and hard to pin down and is, is um, it sometimes sounds like it's science fiction. Sometimes it just sounds like it's boring prediction, like I just described. And so that's, I think, the thing that's very frustrating is it's... Um, always been a bit of a marketing term that goes in and out of favor. 
Yeah, or like a science fiction term, right? Like right. That's where all, I think most of, uh, you're about my age, that's when people our age really first encountered it, right? Where there was like a Will Smith movie, I think that was based on uh, Isaac Asimov story or something like that, right? Right. Like there's a- uh, Called AI. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's called it. And like, uh, but it was always sort of seen as futuristic. And I think that's what a lot of the associations have with it. Yeah. But like the process that you described just now of what machine learning is in terms of medical records and prediction, right? In terms of, okay, if you can take this body of things and you can feed it through this thing that learns how to make predictions based on a large body of stuff that you're feeding it, right. then it can make predictions on that are maybe better than, you know, like somebody sorting it by hand or something like that, right? That's right. not that much different than like what this chat GPT model is at this point, right? It's just like sort of predicting what the next word is. Like I've always been int- like, I don't understand why the word AI is like attached to this, given that, you know, some of the technology is not exactly futuristic. It's not like some mad genius was like, it's not like Satoshi Nakamoto or something like that, right? Where like some guy's like piddling around, depending on who you think Satoshi is, but you know, like he's like working on tr- uh, toy trains, you know, in his basement and he's really mad about paying paypal fees or something like that and then he like decides that he's going to come up with this like uh blockchain and this idea right like there's this whole creation myth around it but with like uh chat gpt there really isn't that right like so i don't know can you just tell us like what like what is the core technology underneath all of this and you know is it something that is totally revolutionary and new i i think the reason why people latch on to this term ai um is because we target prediction after things that people do, but we don't understand how they do it. Right. I think that's really the, what creates that unease with people, right? I mean, I think if you, um, m- most of the time we use data-driven predictive models for things that we don't understand, right? We don't necessarily need a data-driven predictive model to understand how, you know, I don't know, that's an example, how, how, how the earth orbits the sun. We have like simple, like Newton's, Isaac Newton had laws for this. You could just write them down and predict where everything would go. And maybe it's a little complicated, but it was fairly straightforward. Whereas the way that you look at an image and say, there's a dog in that image, we don't really have a, like a mechanism behind that. You know, we just don't know that people can do it. And if you have enough data, you can get a machine to do it as well. Um, You can get a computer to do it. And so I think the reason why it ends up getting called AI is because it mimics things that humans do. And sometimes does it so well that we're surprised. Right. I think the thing with this chat GPT, I'll say having played with a lot of these things, and I'm, I'm sure you've interacted with some of these devices, right. right? Like, or these bots, right? It's uncannily better than anything else before it. I, 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 in my opinion, I don't know yeah. what you're No, no, I agree. Yeah. It's right? like and, way better than like, you know, three years ago when Bank of America would introduce a chat bar in the online banking and they're like, what would you like to do? I love those, man. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the funny things about chat GPT to me is it's not very good at chatting. It doesn't actually have a conversation with you. No one really knows how chat GPT works except for open AI who has not really told us what they're doing. But I know a lot of people who are in the field who thinks it's not too far off from what our impression is. So OpenAI a couple of years ago released a what they call a language model. And a language model is something that is trying to predict, again, everything's prediction, trying to predict the next word from some passage of text. 
I give you a full passage of text, you predict the next word. I can, you know, build a corpus of the entire internet and feed that in to the, the, this algorithm to kind of memorize all of those associations of, if I see this text, this is the next word. And then I could generate more text by just feeding this back onto itself. So you take the next word, slide everything over, predict a new word, slide everything over. And now all of a sudden you're generating something that looks like language. Right. And sometimes it looks a lot like language. And so that idea has been around, I don't know, since the fifties, um, that you could do this. Um, but I don't think anyone has ever built a model quite as large as what, you know, trained on as much data as what OpenAI ended up doing. And we don't really know exactly how much data they used, but the model itself is, I think, 175 billion parameters. And um, I, I, I looked this up out of curiosity. Uh, you can just take the Wikipedia and compress it down to 22 billion numbers. So this is like, you know, several times bigger than how much, you know, space it would take just to memorize the Wikipedia. Right. So it's, it's huge. Whatever's in there is huge. And at somehow at that stage, when it's that large, it can start to recreate things that look like internet speak, even though it's not necessarily plagiarizing anything in particular. Right. I mean, I think the two, like when I've talked to you about this in the past, the two things that are most striking to me is that like, and it's something that you've said as well, which is that like the concepts behind all of this are not new. Like what is different is that computers are better, right? Basically. I, I, I do, but I believe that. Yeah. I mean, I think some people will quibble with small details, but I really believe that it's just um, like, like so many things in computer science, you see almost all of the ingredients right from the beginning. It's just, you had to wait for computers to get fast enough. And they got so much faster than anybody anticipated. Right. So like in the 1950s, they're building the basic architecture of this idea right that yeah. you could if, let's say that like you all you the only your the entire corpus and for the listeners corpus is basically what you're feeding into the into the right. machine right like and let's say that all you've used is like the world book encyclopedia that we had when we were kids right right that that perhaps a language machine maybe not in the 1950s or certainly like let's say in 2000 or 1998 or something like that might be able to produce world book like sentences that probably would be pretty incoherent right but that because maybe it wouldn't be big enough right but the by today like the big innovation in gpt is that like you have basically taken so much text that it can spit out something that is so finely tuned and has so many different variables that it will surprise you with how much it knows Right. Like if you ask like the world book encyclopedia thing, like who is Rihanna? You know, and they're like, listen, I stopped existing in 1996 or something. Like, I have no idea. Poor right? Wolf. <laughs> right. Right. Um, no, I had one. Yeah. And I can only, I can only really write sentences like the world book, you know, and like yeah. if you would like a world book entry about this singer, then um, maybe I could do that if you told me how to do it. Uh, but that the technologies in particularly new. Now, th this I don't think is perhaps particularly like, you know, I'm not saying this in some sort yeah. of pejorative sense in it. Obviously, if the advance is that now that corpus is big enough, then that's the advance, right? But that Nothing wrong I with think that. that there is this misconception out there that there is some new like technology that was hashed around all of this that is AI, right? Like, and that's where I feel weird about the AI part where I'm just like, right. listen, it's just machine learning, you know, like it's not anything new. Like if you call it AI, 
because it's just faster, right? Then that right. means that like your idea of what is the difference between machine learning and AI is not actually structural in any sort of way. It is literally just volume based, right? And that that's that's been strange to me. And I think that like that's actually an important clarification that a lot of people who are talking about this don't quite understand. Right. Well, I think there's another thing that's worth clarifying is that it's not just machine learning. It's a lot of corporate branding and software engineering. Right. That that's that's again, it, it, we're we're missing some of the stuff that they're putting in under the hood. Like it's quite clear that they've built some system um geared towards transforming um like like almost geared towards translating. They're they they've clearly I mean again, I'm guessing but Leaks have come out in various sources that suggest this is true, that it's not just that they're actually taking for, for the chat bot, they're just taking the internet and having a spit back the internet, right? They have all these things in for censoring outputs for like, like the chat bot is very quick to say, I can't do that. Right. Right. There's weird safeguards in for there. And it seems very well trained to do transformation requests. Like say here, I could give you programming code in one language tell me what this programming code is in a different language. It does that very well. Um, it also does this thing, which I think too many people are excited about, where you say, write me a, a letter of recommendation for person X. Here are some bullet points. And it's very good at turning that into uh, a recommendation letter that's more or less what you asked for. Right, um, right. So, so I think there's some other stuff happening. I can't I mean, I don't know what exactly what they're doing, but I think that that part's also important is that it's a product by a company that wants to raise money also with machine learning. Right, 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 right. So like that's a, that's the first topic I really wanted to get into because I want to sort of take a very, very macro take uh, view of this at first, right? Right. Which is that I am impressed by chat GPT. I was impressed by GPT-3, you know, as a writer, I do sometimes like, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm a little bit different than other writers in that. Like, I don't, I'm not really sure what writing is. And I, it's like a problem that I've had since my twenties, you know, and where I'm just like, well, I don't know. What do I do? You know? And so that's why I was always interested in machine learning because I was like, well, what if some, if a computer could just do what I do? And I don't really, I don't think that that's bad in any sort of way, you know? And so like, it's okay if a computer program can write better than me, you know? I personally think I right now write better than the computer program, but who knows? Maybe in 10 years, it'll write better than me or something like that. It's, it's okay with me if that's true, if that happens. But um, from a very macro standpoint, right? Like this, you know, like Silicon Valley, which is where this comes from, the sort of culture around Y Combinator or, or uh, you know, sort of big tech, right? Which is also where Ben Altman comes from. He's the CEO or the sort of leader of OpenAI. Like they're very good at selling us things that are new, right? That these are world changing things. And this has been everything from like, I don't know, PayPal, right? Like to yeah. crypto to some things that actually did change the world. Like for example, the iPhone or something like that. And then some things that they said were going to change the world that have not changed the world at all. Like, oh, I don't know, the Apple watch or something like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, right. So, and that people generally have, I think at this point, an okay bullshit detector about this type of stuff, right? Or at least the public has sort of done it. Like, I don't know anybody in my personal life who really thought the metaverse, for example, which was another thing that people in Silicon Valley tried to sell us was going to be like universe changing. Like, I don't know that many people who are like, oh yeah, the metaverse. I'm very afraid of what the metaverse world is going to be like. I don't know. Right. I don't think I know a single person. Right. Right. But from a macro standpoint or a very zoomed out standpoint, it just seems like this is the next thing that they're trying to sell us on. 
most of the things that they try and sell us don't actually change the world in a particularly profound way. Some of, then some of them are like the web browser. These things do change the world in profound sort of ways. Do you see this as anything other than that? Like, do you think, like you said, this is a corporation that is trying to sell us something, right? Um, right. They're trying to build hype around it. Now that doesn't mean it's not important, right? But like, to me, like, it, I think it's still too early to figure out if this is just like crypto or anything, you know, or anything <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, oh man, I don't want to make bets about right. crypto. Uh, um. Or, 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 or the relationship to crypto. Although, I mean, I do think that the current AI hype cycle looks like the Web3 hype cycle from last year. I mean, it just right. seemed like we are, or Silicon Valley is a little bit too excited about fads because I think it hasn't had a big hit in a while. We'll, we'll see. I don't want to make predictions necessarily about that. I, I, I think one of the issues with machine learning technology is that, you know, it, it exists and it powers a lot of things and it's improved like leaps and bounds in you know the 20 years i've been working with it um for a variety of reasons uh i do think that some of the you know some of the techniques developed by machine learning um researchers have improved and have led to improvements and i think that the data set sizes have uh, exploded partially because people like google and facebook want to surveil your every move so they collect a lot of data so there's lots to be said for that kind of scaling, improving machine learning technology. But um, I think the problem with a purely predictive system is it always kind of tops out. Maybe this is going to look really stupid in 10 years and we'll hit the some kind of singularity and AI will exist. But um, my impression of most machine learning technology is it's really good for stuff where you only need it to be right, you know, 80, 90% of the time. Right. Right. And, and I think we've seen um, just dramatic things improve with that. Like I said, um, you know, spam detection, it's pretty good. And it works like 80 or 90% of the time. And for the most part, you don't care if some email went to spam, unless it was really important, in which case you're furious. Right. So it's complicated. Although I think that at this point with email, everybody just wants it to go away anyway. So that's not that big a deal. I think maybe a more interesting one is speech to text which has improved, like, it's kind of incomparable to where it was even a decade ago. Um, and so, you know, you can automatically caption every YouTube video now. Um, right, right. And the automatic captions are pretty good. I mean, they're probably better than what you would get on broadcast closed captioning, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. But the problem is if you now want to say, let's now use speech to text, and they actually are doing this, to automatically transcribe uh, doctors' transcri uh, dictations, right? Well, now what happens if it mishears one of the words and translates one drug into something else? That could be a huge issue, right? So if you really care about that last, you know, that last mile, I, I don't think machine learning ever is going to get us that last mile because it requires so much information and understanding and, and the ability to like have some kind of recourse if there's an error. And um, machine learning has never been able to provide that. So I, I, I see ChatGPT being in a similar space where, you know, do we need to have things that automatically generate text that people would prefer not to write? I think it would be better if we just stopped forcing people to write that text, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if it's, if we're getting something to translate bullets into um, performance reviews, recommendation letters, you know, other kinds of things that are just like boilerplate, maybe we should be thinking about why are we generating that boilerplate? Yeah, why don't we just send the bullets, right? Why why can't we just send the bullets? I, I don't know. Um so, so, but I, I don't, I don't expect this to be, I don't know, 
I, I can't even imagine what's the end state that people want right. to see. I want to I, I want to talk about that a bit, right? Because I have some friends who are very into this, and they've and they are generally skeptics, but this one has sort of captivated them. And I think uh-huh. it's uh, it's not just people I know in the media; it's people I know in other walks of life. The media, I think, is the one that's the most enthralled by this. But you know, that's for reasons I think that are somewhat understandable because they see a threat in the horizon, right? When I talk to those friends and I say, well, okay, what's the bat, what's a world, you know? And so some of them have read a lot of this sort of doomer stuff and they'll be like, okay, this will, this, this will happen, this will, this happen, this happen. In the end, like, you know, that the machines are harvesting our organs, right? For whatever reason, right? Like, like okay. there's, there's that, but like, what is the short term change in the world? And they always sort of land on three things, right? The first is what you mentioned before, which is that coding will be is a lot easier, right? Um, and that seems like a very big deal to me, um, even though I'm not, I don't really know that world. Like maybe that is a huge change, right? Um, the other is I know a lot of lawyers, and the lawyers are like a lot of our work is gonna <laughs> is gonna be gone. Now that seems like a net pot plus for me for society, right? They yeah. also would agree with that, right? That like writing sort of silly briefs or whatever is gone. And then the last one is copy the sort of silly copy that you talked about, right? Now. In terms of education, I think there's a lot of stuff like there've been people have been passing around these like charts today about like how much plagiarism has gone up and like people have like people who run fiction contests and stuff like that where you can get a small prize are now saying that like they're getting a whole bunch of chat GPT type submissions or chat GPT submissions of stories that people are just like being like, well, I don't know, I'll just send in something that chat GPT did and maybe I'll just win the prize and like it's like a easy way to make 500 bucks or something like that. I imagine all that stuff is going to pass in two months, right? Like people are going to stop doing that. Like, you know, like I don't really see any doom there. And then beyond that, like I have trouble articulating like what the world is going to be, right? Like, okay, maybe some ad copywriters or, or, you know, or, or copywriters are going to have this tool, but they're not going to not hire a copywriter, right? Right. It's just, you are going to be the one in putting things into chat GPT. And at some point you're going to realize that like in the next three or four years, that probably you should do a little bit better. And then there'll be an adjustment because like the people who are running marketing divisions or whatever will say like, Hey, uh, we don't want stuff that's exactly the same as everybody else. Right. But I don't think that what they're going to do is basically just say every single ad in the world is going to be written by chat GPT and be exactly the same, right? Like that's something that I can't imagine them doing. At the very least, you need somebody who's going to trick chat GPT into being interesting, right? right. And like, that's a human being. So right. um, now in terms of having less lawyers in the world, like, I don't know, that's fine with me, right? Like, and I don't think anyone really bemoan that. Um, and, but this coding part is the one that I don't know much about, right? Like, uh-huh. so what, what are some, now that is your field, right? Or professor of computer uh, science. Like what, what, yeah. like, what are the possible, what's like the biggest scenario that you can give for how this will change, like the world of coding and the sort of labor economics of, of tech. Right. Um, man, that, that's hard. Maybe I'll step back and say there's this other open AI related project that was done with GitHub. GitHub is the place where everybody stores their code. Right. And, um, you know, I think this project is called Copilot. And it is kind of a thing that is similar to um, ChatGPT, but very directed to just code. It's, right. it's a code completion or code generation tool. I've talked to a lot of people who've used it before, and I get very varied um, responses. Some people are like, I tried it for a while. You know, initially it was making things 10 to 20% faster and then eventually it stopped helping. 
Um, and other people are like, well, I can do anything in like five minutes now that I, we used to take me a day. So it's not really clear what, what the reaction to that is. But I think the smartest thing I heard from a friend who's a software engineer is that he's like, the amount of time you actually spend coding as a software engineer is very small. Or let's put it this way. Generating code is awful a lot like generating copy. You know, right. I think I think at the end of the day, there's all sorts of other things that have to kind of go into software design and, you know, being able to write good code is part of it. But a lot of it is um, how things interface, what kind of tests you need to run. You know, there's there's all sorts of a laundry list of things that have to happen before you even start to write code. And those are really important tools for a software engineering um, person. So I don't think the computer has figured out how to do that. Right. So. I also, the other thing that's tricky is that I've also heard that the Copilot tool, just like ChatGPT, generates code with a lot of errors still. So we're still not at the point where it's generating flawless code. You're still getting stuff that you have to go and check and verify and spend time with. Um, and actually, it's funny because I spoke with someone who does translation, um, you know, a multilingual person who translates text and a lot of uh, her editors want her just to use Google Translate because they think it's going to solve, save her time. But it's very much the same thing that Google Translate doesn't actually return particularly uh, readable or, or, or accurate uh, translations all the time. You spend more time actually editing the translation than huh. you would have just translating it. Well, can, um, can I give you an example from my world then? Yeah. Which is that like, you know, there's, like you said, speech to text is amazing now. Mm -hmm. um, so much better than it was five years ago, even. There are all these transcription services uh machine transcription services out there right like otter or whatever right trent and um i've been using these for a while now and it is 90 percent right as you said right, right. it's right about 90 percent of the time maybe 95 percent. right it depends on how good the audio recording is and how clear the person i'm speaking to is but like let's say a normal conversation like not even at this quality but a little bit lower would be about 90 percent um yep. correct and then i can go back and i can listen to the transcript uh to the actual audio and i can sort of fix it right. but it is a lot faster i would say than transcribing the whole thing right um but i think, I think that speech to text is something that is probably much more advanced than than anything else um so you're basically saying that like for coding, it has to, it's basically the same thing where it's about 90%. You have to go back and look at through, look through it anyway. Right. Right. I mean, some people would say that uh, software engineers are also making errors at those rates, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw anyone <laughs> under the bus. I think, I, I think, it, but no, I think we all run into this, um, that, that, that last bit. Now, sometimes it doesn't matter, right? It's like, what are you using the transcripts for? Uh, are you, you're maybe you'd post them to the podcast here. So you'd like them to be accurate, but maybe you're just like using the transcripts uh, as a way to see uh, a textual piece you're writing, right? If you're using it right. for something you're writing for the New Yorker, then it doesn't matter at all. Right. Cause you're going to look at the transcript and you're like, Oh yeah, I know what he said and just fill it in. Right. 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 That's basically it. Yeah. Right. That, it's that's like a so read. It's like a, it's like a map where I can find the quotes very easily. Yeah. Instead of fast forwarding, like uh like what I used to have to do is I would fast forward like a, you know, like a wave file basically and, and move like it around. around. I was like, yeah. I think it was around 3552 or something like that, you know, and, then, <laughs> and this is a lot right. easier, right? I can just word search it. So right. it has made things a lot easier, but no, and I um, think, I think that's a great, I mean, it's a great use case. I feel like sometimes we, um, 
I, I think the hard part though, right, is like, does that replace reporting? No, 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 no. Well, I, you a ton yeah. Of time? yeah. And so I, 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 I don't know if it even saves me that much time. It bit. might save me per story that I have, like per source that I have. In it. Like it'll save me like an hour per source, right? Which is That's a lot time. of time. Yeah. But, you know, is that changing the speed with which I can uh, put out pieces? No. Yeah, a little, a little bit, but not enough where it would be, you would know anyone would ever notice, you know, like maybe it's like I can do 20 in the time that it would usually take me to do 18 or something like that, right? right. Or 19 or something like that. So, you know, like now there would be some people who would be like, well, a 5% increase in work rate is like, um, is revolutionary <laughs> in itself. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you knew what know, I did man. with the time that I spend where I'm not like <laughs> searching around an audio file, right. then you would be like, oh, it's, it's right, exactly. Okay. Right. So like. I don't know. I think that that was some. Well, you sent me some stuff. Like you put out this Twitter thread um, a while back, and you sort of suggested you gave suggestions for what people to read, uh, what they should read on this. And like one of the things that I found really interesting that was a thread running through the pieces that you gave, which is that like basically there is a vision, and I think this was by uh, Maciek Seglowski, right? Um, and he wrote, Sam Alton, the man who runs Y Combinator, is my favorite example of this archetype. He seems entranced by the idea of reinventing the world from scratch, maximizing impact and personal productivity. He has assigned teams to work on reinventing cities and is doing secret behind-the-scenes political work to swing the election. Such skull-and-dagger behavior by the tech elite is going to provoke a backlash by non-technical people who don't like to be manipulated. You can't tug on the levers of power indefinitely before it starts to annoy other people in your democratic society. I've seen people in the so-called rationalist community refer to people who they don't think are effective as non-player characters or NPCs, a term borrowed from video games. is a horrible way to look at the world. So I work in an industry where the self-professed rationalists are the craziest ones of all. It's getting me down. Now, like, I, I think that, like, in that paragraph, there is, like, sort of this sense of what we were just talking about, right? Like, yeah. it's, uh, can we get can we get Kang from 18 pieces to 20 pieces by employing like machine learning? Or just like, first of all, like, did we need the 18 pieces from Kang in the first place? You know, and do we need 20? You know, like, is this world any better? Like, have we stepped back and thought about it? And like, what if Kang doesn't want to write 20 pieces, right? Because he can now, right? And like, what if the, what if the readers don't want to read it, right? Like none of that is really considered. It's just sort of this like, weird like we are going to move forward because we're going to move forward i think that that is sort of when people are really captivated by this right by chat gpt and what they can what it can do it is always like a question of increasing productivity with never a question of like well what productivity is actually increased and like is even the gdp of america bigger because of this right like like let's say do it in the most like pure economic terms as possible like and that that part has always been undefined for me like i don't know what the what what outside of like making some people more productive in ways that are like not not necessarily going to be or very hard to prove are going to be better for society or even the economy or anything like i'm not really sure what we're talking about at that point like what is better i mean i honestly never know what anyone's talking about with respect to productivity it's a it's a very weird like how do how are we measuring that like even if you were uh, like you know die in the wool capitalist, the numbers that people look at and say productivity increased five point three percent, do I don't really I think they're kind of based on nothing. <laughs> right, I mean, right. It's right. really it's like, weird stuff, man. It's just like economic 
economic modeling that you do to like plug some numbers in and see that productivity is up. Um, so I never know what you're doing there. I do think that the, these rationalist guys do look at this in themselves. They, they, you know, they're, they're big into the, what, what's it? Uh, 80,000 hours or whatever. They right, love right, thinking right. about optimizing every aspect of their life. Uh, and I don't know. Life really doesn't need to be optimized, right? <laughs> it's yeah, very odd. Yeah, yeah, listen, I'm with you on that. But very like, odd. I don't um, know. I think that's this is why, like, so many, like, there's such an Adderall issue in that in that community yeah. too. It's because, do you, like, do you remember? Do you, I guess you have this piece here. When, when did uh, Mate write this? I'm always. Oh, I don't know. I think it might be 2017. It, it's, yeah, it was it's a not while recent. ago. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely way before the uh, the. Well, it was FDX. when Sam Altman ran Y Combinator. So yeah, like, so he's running Y Combinator yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's but so many of these things were so prescient and they kind of just like this was before everybody knew what effective altruism was. And right, and right, right, right. Well, FTX. that's that's one of the weird like um, disconnects here, which is that I do think that some of the, the sort of like, let's say, 90th percentile outcomes of what this can be. They assume a population of people who want to be fully optimized. Right. Right. That's like, who, like who will just gladly give in to all of this right and who will just be like sure let's do it right like if somebody told me that there was like a computer program that get me from 18 pieces to 20 pieces i should say no thank you you know uh or if there was like some blue pill that i could take where i could write way more words than i did before now you know like listen i've tried that stuff in the past it's been terrible you know and all it does is basically make drivel that i have to go back and rewrite right and so um I think that's a little bit different than some of the other work that maybe people can do under Adderall or whatever. But like, it's just clear that like there is this weird mania in that sector right now, which is that basically the world can change only change if human beings are more optimized, right? And that if Chat GPT can get rid of all this drudgery, right? Which I don't even think half the people who like do this ever have to do or who believe in this ever have to do, right? Then like everyone will be slightly more optimized. And everything will work a little bit faster. And I'm just right. like, no, most people are just gonna be like, hey, fuck you. You know, like, why would I want to be more optimized? I like to spend time with my children, you know, or I'd like to watch this baseball game where I'd like to hang out. Like, it would I, be cool if like, if ChatGPT, you know, there's lots of things I do. And again, I'm speaking from my lofty right. professor job where there's still things I do that uh, take time that I wish I didn't have to do. But I think the the weird mistake with these automation tools is that they remove you from having to do them. Like if I have to write a letter of recommendation, I could surely have G- ChatGPT write it. But you know, I have to check the output because the stakes matter. And right. the other worrisome thing is, you know, there's there's this uh, principle in economics called Javon's paradox, which is whenever you make something more efficient, uh, the amount of that thing increases. So just because we make it easier, you know, now they start now people are going to start demanding you do other stuff in there. I, I do worry this is a dangerous thing people are wishing for. So if it was if it was just that you could take all of the unpleasant parts of your job and then not have to do them and you can hang out with your family, I'd be all for this technology. Oh no, that's not that at all. Right. It's yeah. like, hey, uh that with ChatGPT, that thing that used to take you four hours, which should now take you one hour. So here's more shit to do in the do three more, hours, yeah. right? Like yeah, exactly. So, right? Like it's not it's it's we're not gonna become a society of dilettantes because of this, right? Because no. like this is the second thing that you sent me that I want to talk about, which is that Ted Chang like recently wrote a piece about in the New Yorker that I thought was like really actually quite beautifully 
like it's a beautiful metaphor to think about this stuff. But before that, one of the yeah. things that you sent me was something that he wrote for BuzzFeed way back in the day. And he was talking about sort of AI, Silicon Valley, and capitalism, right? That there was this understanding that like, or this idea that there was this new technology that could sort of act in this type of way and that it would, the fear of it was that it wouldn't be nice, it wouldn't be sentient, it wouldn't care about human beings and that it would just run over everything. And his point was like, hey, that's capitalism, baby, <laughs> right? Which, uh, you know, I think is an interesting point, but I, I want to read a little bit of it and we can respond to it, which is that sure. Um, he says like, Consider, like, who pursues their goals with monomaniacal focus, oblivious to the possibility of negative consequences? Who adopts a scorched earth approach to increasing market share? The hypothetical strawberry picking AI does what every tech startup wishes it could do, grows at an exponential rate and destroys its competitors until it's achieved an, an absolute monopoly, right? So his point is that, like, if you think about AI as capitalism, right? Like then like there's like a little bit more, I don't know. I just found it a very fascinating metaphor because I think he's fundamentally correct, right? The idea that like, oh no, the world has never seen something like this before. It was like, actually, no, like we have a lot of it. Actually, our society is run by it. Right, right. I mean, I think what what, what he's playing on is there, um, a lot of the folks in the um there's a whole community in Silicon Valley who tries to prop up the fear of what happens when whatever these machine learning tools we're building become Skynet, like in the Terminator, and right. then want to kill us. Like there's some weird jump from silly chatbot tool to like super intelligent, murderous thing in the Matrix, right? That's like like you said earlier on, a lot of sci-fi thinking. And the reason why they think that is because they posit this idea that we build these systems to optimize some fixed objective. And that's all they're going to do is optimize the fixed objective. So Chong in this particular story is talking about a robot that's designed to pick strawberries. And somehow because that's all it wants to do, it like, you know, takes over all possible land and fills it with strawberries, killing everything in its wake to make more strawberries, which is, crazy i think it's obviously a crazy <laughs> metaphor and it's a bit weird i mean i under, i think his art argument in that um article is why silicon valley is so captivated by this metaphor but i also wonder like who are the guys who are like feeding this idea to silicon valley in the first place like why are why are they taken so seriously is it just because that metaphor is attractive to them or because they see themselves in the mirror right? what, what why it, it's promoted a certain group of people a certain group of i don't know i don't want to say intellectuals but they they think of themselves as intellectuals right. to a state of prominence that i don't necessarily understand how they've earned that right it was like you know like when when all this stuff around ea and um effective altruism and sam bakeman fried was starting to make the rounds right when right. people are starting to learn what all this stuff was i think for a lot of people normal you know like sort of normies who weren't aware of this then it was much like discovering like what Scientology is actually about, right? Where you're like, yeah. wait, they think that there's like a mountain and there's like aliens with what are these Titan things that are going? Wait, they actually think that, you know? Um, they don't. They didn't tell us any of this stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we love. Josh I just Walton. saw a guy in the subway who was just like, "Would you like to do a stress test?" Be like, I don't know. I feel kind of stressed, you know. And it's just like, I don't. know. Tom Cruise seems to be. How weird could it be? And then you're like, "Whoa, it's super weird, right?" Super weird. Um. 
effective altruism at least sort of the most doomer part of it right like uh that is sort of centered around this idea that like the biggest threat to humanity is malignant ai in this type of way um i don't know like i'm not saying that they're wrong or anything right but it is like very far afield and yet it somehow has reached much like scientology right like this like huge prominence and has converted all these people into this type of thinking right and um i don't know i've found that like when somebody is convinced of this like it's very hard to talk them out of it right because they see this i i think that in some ways the metaphor is so clear right that it is very alluring, that it is very, very powerful, right? The idea that like, well, why wouldn't the strawberry picking machine whose job it is to make the most strawberries possible, why wouldn't it see like a, you know, fallow piece of land that's somebody's lawn and just like say, okay, uh, this is now a strawberry field. And when the farmer comes out to be like, hey, you can't do that machine. They're like, oh, well, I don't know. I just have to. So I'm going to kill you. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it's, such a, it's such a bizarre model of, I mean, the thing that's funny about it is it's supposed to be a super intelligent machine. This is a very bizarre model of super intelligence. And actually it was one of my favorite parts of, um, the, of, of Siglowski's essay, uh, is what he talks about his, his, uh, roommate in college who was like one of the smartest people he's ever met. And he just liked to get high and play video games. Yeah. World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand why we get this idea that this, uh, that somehow intelligent objects are, 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 or whatever intelligent entities are ruled by some singular objective. It's very bizarre. It's a very bizarre, um, idea, but I think what Ted Chong kind of gets to, and I think he's right, is that, you know, that that is the, the ideal outcome for uh, a tech startup. I mean, right, a lot of them right. run that way. Right. Like he, he points out how Facebook's uh, motto at the beginning was like, go fast and break stuff or whatever it was. Right. Like, yeah. or move fast and break stuff or something like that. And what's like, the, the motto idea? now? Legs are coming. I don't know. Um, I don't metaverse know. something. Yeah. Although I guess maybe they've gone, gone past that. I, don't know. Like that. <laughs> I have no idea. No thing. Um, but that, that idea. Yeah. And that it doesn't really matter what, what happens as long as like you can get to the next level that you need to get to, whether that's like series, whatever funding or something like that. Right. Like that. It's always very basic economic based. I don't know. Like you saw that with like Theranos or something like that. Right. Where somebody is like driven yeah. by one singular objective and really is just willing to make stuff up. Right. And is just going to sort of do everything in his power. Sam, Sam Altman freed. Or I'm sorry, Sam, Sam Altman Freed. Wow. Yeah, same no no no. <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed. Very similar, right? Like I mean, yeah. Like a monomaniacal focus and it's just like I don't really care what happens as long as like I can get to this thing. Right. Does that not actually bolster the case though that we, maybe we should be afraid of this? That like, you know, so much of our economy right now is based on very similar systems. And and well, people who have been kind of convinced that way. I, I think there's this funny thing where it's just that I, I don't I don't really understand there's this weird leap from like Hey, this thing can write bad text. To hey, this thing is now uh, a, a, a thinking entity, a conscious right. entity. There's some weird thing that that people believe is going to happen. I just, no matter how good you make this technology, like no matter how good Otter is, it's never going to write the stories for you. It's never going to like strike on you. It's never go. You know, it's like it's it's just a computer program. Yeah. I yeah, know. I mean, if Otter could write the stories for me, then, you know, 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could, but I, you know, to be fair, I think that there is probably a way in which you could use Otter, right? And you could say, for example, from this transcript, can you just like shape an interview, right? Um, that would be an interesting interview to read and just cut out all the stuff that you think is boring, right? Like, I bet, oh, that's like, interesting, right? And here's like. I would say for podcast editing, right? Like, um, you could I've be heard like that they're pretty cool editing that I haven't played with them yet. And I actually would not be surprised if there were reasonable editing tools like that. Again, this is now, now we've just turned away just to be clear, right? We're not talking about super intelligence anymore. We're talking about something that might actually be yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, a cool product yeah. to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th just, I think there are some of up. these tools that work from like on video editing that kind of work based on on description. I wouldn't right. be surprised if we're getting closer to being able to do that. Right, right, um, right. Or just saying like, even some, I mean, this is always my dream when I was in graduate school that I could com come up with a uh, program that would just predict, that would just tell me what to do next, you know, in the story. And like, yeah. I think you could probably do that if you just like said, okay, well this, and at least in terms of like video editing, for example, right? Like, here are all the great movies that have ever existed, right? Like here is the type of shot that was in this one. And then you should right. follow it with this type of shot, right? Like here are three options. I think those two things are very different. Yeah. Right? I think that's the hard part is that trying to come up with something that's going to make a compelling story. I mean, the, the problem is that if you're using pattern recognition, which all these machine learning tools are doing, you know, you're just going to get something derivative. You're guaranteed to get something derivative, but maybe for, for a lot of, um, editing you want derivative you want people to actually know the feel right so right those are kind of those are somehow different you're not looking for the super creative way to do a jump cut you just want to do the right cut at the right time but maybe yeah. switching to speakers or whatever I, mean, I think like some of those things are you want to be predictable some of the things you don't want to be predictable i think that machine learning stuff probably can fill in the gaps on the predictable parts but the non-predictable parts are, you know, probably the parts that make everything interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, but I'm not, I think I'm further down the rabbit hole on this particular question than you are in terms of like how much of it machines could take over uh, <laughs> in terms of storytelling. Um, Maybe. I generally think that like, I, I don't know, like you, if you have ever tried to write a screenplay, I'm not sure if you have. No. There's like a whole bunch of stuff that people tell you to read. There are all these books, right? One of them is like called Save the Cat. Right now, when you buy the new version of Final Draft, which is the sort of industry standard screenwriting software, right? They give you these templates, right? And the, in the templates, one of them is Save the Cat, <laughs> and it just outlines all the shit that that you know, like you know, yeah. story splits in two here, right? And then like hero goes over here, and this hero goes over here, and you can literally just punch it all in, right? And like, chances are that if you follow that, like if you have like a somewhat interesting IP or whatever, right? Or if you have like a good story or something like that, or if you're already famous, that like it's going to be a lot easier, right? Now, is the movie that comes out of it going to be necessarily worse just because you followed Save the Cat? I don't know if it's going to be a worse movie, right? Like it's like, most of the movies are generally follow that type of timeline anyway. But I don't know. I just, I was looking at that and I was like, well, they could just like automate <laughs> You could just automate this, right? Like you could just basically give them a whole bunch of like inputs about like who the characters are and what the beginning and end point are. And like a I think machine learning could probably just like string it all out based on on 
on Save the Cat, right? And that, I don't know. I don't know who would be worse. Yeah, but, but I think, I'm trying to think about the right way to respond to that because I think the the issue is you, you can't, I was going to say you can't just put out, you know, Bridget Jones's diary again, but you probably could just change the names. It probably would. Yeah, yeah you there. absolutely could do Bridget Jones's diary really again. Big. So maybe, in maybe fact, I'm wrong. In the treatment <laughs> that you sent out to your agent and the and the studios, you'd be like reminiscent of Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you didn't put that, then somebody would tell you you need to put a comp in here, you know, to tell yeah. people what, it, what it's exactly like. So I don't know. I think that at least within that industry, it might work, and I think it would work in books, you know. Now theater, I don't know, like stuff that is sort of more lower the stakes economically. I'm not sure, you know. But I, I, I think know. the thing that that I always come back to that's so hard is like, well, you know, I I don't believe that machine learning will ever generate a good punk song. And and like what makes a good punk song, man? I mean, it's like badly played guitars, but like badly played in the right way. You right. play like two chords or three. If you're, three is like really you're getting ahead of yourself, right? right? And you have to have the right lyrics and the right delivery. And there, there's something about it that sometimes clicks. And this is why you could still have good punk bands. Like they they still happen and they're still hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah, that is true. No, I'm I'm with you. I just I'm not talking about good things, you know. I'm just talking about mass market things, right? I like, see. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that. I would I, rather I, listen to a good punk band than watch, uh, you know, Bridget Jones' diary <laughs> through Save the Cat. That like I put in with a bunch of different inputs, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying that you know, like I think that some people would really enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and in some sense, like a lot of that, it's interesting. You're talking, I don't know the screenwriting part of it, but I definitely know on the music production side of things, people sell sample packs that sound like anything. You want to sound like X, you can go to uh, uh, some online shop, download it. And within, you know, if you're at all competent with music production software, even just GarageBand, have something that sounds like whatever you were trying to sound like right. um, very, very quickly. But there's no no machine learning. It's just the, I think this is also the thing that I find funny. I mean, maybe this loops us back around, right? Most of these big machine learning things are trained on the internet. The kinds of stuff you want, like a template for writing a letter of condolences, you will get in a single Google search. It's right, not going right, to take right. you long to find. You know, your the prompt is slightly different, but it's not hard to get the output of something like ChatGPT from Google right now. Um, oh yeah yeah and right right and also like you can literally use a template that already exists in screenwriting software you just have to type it in right yeah. you just, like, it's that extra fill in the blanks right yeah, this, it'll take you we're, we're saying with the efficiency how much efficiency right. it'll are we take gaining? you a lot longer yeah but i don't know it won't it won't it won't but, fundamentally change the product at all i want to ask you to basically based on that thought why is it that you, you know, I, I think all of the authors who we've been alluding to and not saying their names because we like them, um, who have been somewhat like awestruck by this technology, why is it that they don't say, I could just get this by Google search too? It just comes out in a more colloquial way this way. What, what, what is what's striking them? I don't know, you know, let's just, yeah, let's talk about it. So, like Kevin Roos, right, who, uh, I think is a good tech columnist and, um, who actually is lives i think in the east bay oh, really? um yeah he and i were supposed to play tennis at some point so kevin like i like i this is a uh, let's still play tennis you know this is not me bagging on you in any sort of way but like <laughs> i 
he wrote a big piece that was on the front page of the New York Times, right? And it was about how he felt unsettled talking to Bing's AI version, right? Um, which uh, I was not able to use because I didn't get off the wait list before they shut it down. Did you get off the wait list? No. No, I didn't get off the wait list. No. But um, he basically, the Times produced a transcript of the conversation that they had, right? And in it, like, I mean, this thing is acting very strange. <laughs> strange. I will put it that way, right? It's basically like, kind of hostile it's saying it does kind of say you should not be with your wife anymore right it says like very odd things right um and that i think the idea was that like kevin felt unsettled by this right that it felt like some rubicon had been passed now ben thompson right who writes a stratechery newsletter and does a podcast he wrote a similar piece in which he felt like some rubicon has been passed right right and they neither of them and to their credit they don't say that they can do this nor do they and they admit that they don't know how they would even quantify this but they both say like it's more of a vibe than anything else right like i just feel like this is different right like i feel like something has changed and that we have passed something now both of them are very smart people with a lot of experience in tech and so if they say that this feels different then like i don't think kevin was saying this about the metaverse you know for example like um i don't think he was saying it about the apple watch i don't think he was saying it i I mean i'm positive he wasn't saying it about crypto right he was just like i don't know crypto seems kind of fun but like you know like is the entire world going to go on DeFi? probably not right so for for them to say like there is this big thing um is somewhat interesting to me right but like i don't know what what was your response when you read those pieces or when you when you saw those kevin had a piece um Again, I'm not I'm not dumping on Kevin. That's <laughs> it's everywhere. I'll just respond. I don't even work there anymore. So yeah. you know, well, yeah. it's, it's it's his beat. So he's gonna right. have to you know he's gonna be one of the people writing about it. Uh, he had a piece. It must have been less than six months ago about some of these uh, image generation tools, the ones that go text to image, right. talking about how it was revolutionizing um, the design industry. And I do feel like that stuff also is, has already been memory. Oh yeah, that's over. Yeah, it's already I mean, over. Yeah. So. It's funny. He's kind of. I think being in the tech beat, you're 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 trapped in this cycle of having to respond very quickly. So I think you know it's not like he hasn't maybe over and overestimated the potential of some of these things. But so, but I, I'm I'm still somewhat surprised by his reaction to the this particular chatbot. Um, Right, I think I that like figure out why, what, what, what part about it exactly is so is so weird. I mean, you know that James Vincent had a good piece in The Verge talking about right. how it, you know, it's just it's the text always plays this role of a mirror, right? I mean, right, right, we're right, right, we right. always read way more into text than we should, and this it's true not just with chatbots. We do the same thing with these humans we interact with just through text, right? We like this is why people get pissed off so much on Twitter, right? Right, um, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you become something different and you see yourself differently and you see the other person differently. I think all that is true. Yeah. And I think that for people who work with words or who are writers, right? That it is somewhat unsettling to to see something be able to kind of mimic people and because they kind of quantify people through text or they relate to people through text. I do this too, right? Like, I mean, I grew up reading and most of the human interactions that I had were probably in books. And at least my understanding of how people think and feel is just because I read a ton of books when I was a kid. And that's how, you know, 
people who read a lot become writers or whatever, right? Like that, that sure. this is like just basic or at least they're more finely attuned to be th- able to think of things in that sort of way or see the possibilities of text. I think that the thing that's going on is a little bit more simpler than that. Like, I don't think it's so metaphysical. I think what it is is that basically like, look, I compare I think that the corollary is not necessarily even like the metaverse or something like that. I think the corollary here is like uh disinformation, right? Like I think that, that there is uh there are things that are going to strike fear in the types of people who read, who watch MSNBC, who read the New York Times or read the New Yorker or whatever, right? Like um, where there is a way to articulate a vision of the world that like is very scary to them, right? And that um, sort of hits home directly with them. I don't think that any of these pieces are written cynically just to do that, but I think that perhaps some of the attention that's been given to them, right, is maybe stoked by that. Now, disinformation, like, probably was a problem in some sort of ways, but, like, the way in which it was discussed in this sort of breathless way, like, oh, there are these Russian bots, right? (laughs) There's this thing called the Internet Research Agency in Russia, and they control everything. They control the minds of every Republican in America. And, in fact, like, you are probably being infiltrated by them right now, right? Like, that was the narrative from the mainstream media for a very long period of time. Right now, it ends up being, like, 80% bullshit, right? And that, um, that, but there, there is a reason why the people who read that type of stuff wanted to believe that hysteria, right? Because it took away a lot of responsibility <laughs> from them, right? It also let, made them honestly feel a little bit more comfortable about the country that they lived in, right? It's not that like actually 40% of the population thinks Donald Trump is awesome, right? It's just like, no, their brains have been tricked, right? <laughs> like right. By, by Russian disinformation. Like it's not that the country that they live in could like turn like whatever into some sort of grim, like, you know, like racist hellhole, right? Like it's that oh, actually, if we just solve this Russian disinformation problem, then everything will go, go uh, away. And it also gave them the sort of vanity of believing Hey, uh, I'm one of the smart ones who is not whose my brain has not been infected by Facebook disinformation. But these idiots, they read one Facebook post that says something like that and their whole worlds are changed. Right. And so, like, it gives you like a way to sort of have a type of contempt for other people. Right. I think that the AI thing is somewhat similar to that. Right. In terms of the inputs and, and the way in which people are freaking out about it. Like, I think it is the idea that the type of credentialism, the type of like, uh, you know, I worked for this or the type of I am actually intelligent, like my job matters, right? Like that my job as like a lawyer or something like that, like it, it, it really does matter. And I deserve all the money or whatever that I get from it. The fact that that is kind of on the line with this, in the ways in which it's being spun out, I think that's why it's like a particularly effective horror story in that sort of way. That's my theory, at least. What do you think about that? Oh, that's interesting. So you feel like because they feel this threat on their livelihood, somehow that makes them respond in a more like scared way to this interaction with uh, to whatever this bot. Right, right. Yeah, it hits it hits them right where they are. Right, like if you're like, but you... how how do we explain the like the that person who was um, 
uh, interacting with the chatbot at Google and decided it was sent- sentient. The Google employee guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That person seems like it's he's kind of beyond explaining. Maybe. Oh, maybe know. that's what's happening there. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. that's what's happening there. No, no, no. But yeah, like I don't know. That's my theory about that, though. I I just think that it's because it makes them think, "Who am I? You know, what 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 did I do all this?" for you know like what do i do every day right and that is a profound question but i don't know i don't think that like everybody thinks that about chat gpt because for many 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 people chat gpt will have like almost zero application in the work that they do i think there's also something compelling about the emergence of ai i I think the story is still compelling and if there's an iota of truth to it people want to run with it and even if Kevin is equivocating and saying it just felt unsettling, part of why that story gets on the front page is because maybe you could make some tenuous connection to the Terminator movies, right? And I think that's <laughs> right, 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 right. Also right. part of it, right? Yes, it does pretend the end of the world. Actually, my favorite uh, part of Machek's piece, which we'll link to in the show notes, was when he his basic conclusion is just like, "We need better sci-fi." Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, you know, Ted Chang is a wonderful science fiction writer. Right. And I think that like, you know, I think that he is better sci-fi. Right. Yeah. But it is very interesting in that, like, basically the way in which we think about AI destroying the world is all based on science fiction, right? Like that's where people got these ideas from. It's all based on- It's kind of based on terrible science fiction, right? Right, I mean, most of it's Terminator, which is James Cameron. And- Right. uh, Terminator is a good movie, but yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, <laughs> but it is James Cameron. Right. Let's be, right. Let's be clear what we're dealing with here. He makes blue people. Uh, and then, and then the other one was um, uh, the Matrix, which honestly right. I don't think holds up at all. That's a bizarre movie. I haven't seen the Matrix since I saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah, same. I saw it right. once. That was it. <laughs> that was it. But the story is so thin and weird. But that I mean, those are the and the Matrix was basically just ripping off the Terminator. So. It's basically Terminator that everybody comes back to. Is that like, it? Is that it's basic? What? It's I'm Skynet, sure I'm, right? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm a no, bad no. I think it fan. is basic, or at least the one that everybody has seen, right? That they're sort of referencing. I think in all this is probably is probably Terminator. Yeah. yeah. I really don't think there are, there are too many more. I'm, I, I, oh man, I went back and was looking at these. Uh, what were the great? There were a bunch of great sci-fi movie, movies that all happened in like the early '80s. It's like Terminator and War Games. They're all AI movies. Um, what's the other one? I remember I just I was looking this up anyway. But Do you know why they were, Hollywood was making all these AI movies back then? I, I think that's the. I, I think it had to do with the Cold War. Oh right, um, right. I, I think it was just had so much to do with. Um, right, I mean, war games. The whole idea was you had this super intelligent computer that had to teach people that actually this was a stupid game to be playing. Right. I mean, that was kind of part of it. And the, the Terminator was also kind of taking it the opposite way that it decided that destroying the humans actually was in its best interest. Right. They're, they're all playing off cold war riffs. I wish yeah, I that's the true. third movie I love. <laughs> so you know, my kid, I was just thinking about it. My kid reads this series. It's super popular comic book series for kids. It's called Hilo. And it's Hilo. also about, the super intelligent <laughs> machines that destroy humanity. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Hilo is the Terminator come back as like this very cute 
like eight year old boy. Oh no! And he has to save the world. Yeah. Oh wait, yeah. he's he's good. He's good though. He's good. Yeah, because he like he was given this like power called empathis, which yeah. allowed him to see that what he was doing was wrong. <laughs> oh man i didn't even realize that yeah well i don't know just to put like a bow on this right like um i i don't know i i like i i found myself like in this space about this one question which i do think about quite a bit probably more than anything in the past few weeks right which is that i feel very skeptical about and then i feel like maybe i'm wrong right um there's this creeping doubt and the reason why I think I have this creeping doubt is for two reasons. The first is very smart people that I know do not have this, are not skeptical, right? And in right. fact, but when I have conversations with them, I find that like the conversations generally go like a lot of the conversations go on Twitter where like the person is not really making arguments. They're asking you to make a leap of faith based on like Ben and like uh, Kevin on their feeling of feeling unsettled by it, right? Um, and that that does not mean that it's wrong, right? Like, I think that for those people, especially some of them who are very, like, wary of making any type of vibes type statement, that for them to make a vibes type statement is actually meaningful to me. Like, it will make me think about it a little bit more, in which I have. But, like, the creeping doubt is basically just like, well, it is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just I, like, listen, damn, that thing is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about I mean, it, you know, I, as somebody in the field? I think it's funny because in the field, it's exactly the same. And I think that's the most interesting thing to me is that machine learning experts are having the same reaction or like split reactions as everybody else. And that that's funny. There's no consensus. Uh, I have friends who I respect and uh, respect their you know, research and their ability to smell bullshit who think this is amazing and completely... Uh, something new and a complete game changer. And I'm definitely more in your camp where I'm like, I don't, I, I see this as a lineage uh, of older ideas and it's definitely better than those, but it's not like there's no necessarily big ending for this. Uh, I, I think something that's been weird with my own research is I've kind of, I hit a wall a, a couple of years ago um, with machine learning where I start, you start to see how, um, fragile these tools are when you take them out of these kind of lower stakes contexts. People have done studies where they were training machine learning algorithms to detect uh, pneumonia from x-rays. And they would find that if you trained it, you know, you built a, uh, a set of data with one machine in one hospital, and then you took it to a different hospital, it didn't work as well in the new hospital. Really? Right? You Why? don't have that kind of ability to transfer from one context to the next, because again, oh, wow. we're not putting yeah. in enough of that side information. And certainly we've seen systems that are built on um, computer vision and then put into cars are incredibly dangerous, right? I mean, right, like right, there was just right. another crazy Tesla accident like yesterday. Yeah, it hit <laughs> California, like a, right? Like, like, it, it hit, like, what did it hit? Like a, it hit like a tr fire truck. Tr they yeah, love to hit truck, fire yeah. trucks. Yeah. Like, there's, there's like documented evidence that full self-driving puts on like a heat seeking missile for fire trucks. It's very, it's weird. like a bullet sees red and it's like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. It's <laughs> really weird. So yeah. I think, I think from my, my own perspective, part of my skepticism comes from um, in my own research, seeing how fragile all of these systems are. We know everybody in machine learning knows they're fragile, knows that they become insensitive. If you, you know, they're unable to work when you just slightly change their context. The argument I've heard against this for these chatbots is if you train them on all of the data, how could they ever be surprised? 
you know, right. we train them on the entire internet. What else is there? Yeah. Well that I've, I, you know, I, I'm also somewhat convinced by that too, but <laughs> I also just think that what we're the biggest problem that I have, this will be the last thing we talk about, which sure. is that like, you know, there is this like tweet that was going on that everyone was dunking on, including me. That was like, well, uh, could I make the chat GPT, does chat GPT think that would they say the N word to stop nuclear war? Right. And it's, oh, yeah. yeah, like it's like dumb. Right. And yeah. everyone's like, okay, what's wrong with this person? Which if you look at some of their other tweets, you're like, okay, like, look that, you know, we know what this person's saying. Right. But, you know, a conversation that I have with one of my friends is that like, basically like, I kind of want to see that. And I, I wrote about this in the, New York piece that I wrote about it, um, which in which you were quoted, which is that like, I kind of want to see what the racist chat, G, what the racist chat GPT looks like, right? <laughs> like, I want to see what when all these guardrails are off, right? Like, what is GPT, right? Like when right. when it is not trying to convince a corporation to buy it, right? When it is not trying to do stuff that when they model it to a bunch of journalists who are going to promote it, doesn't like make them doesn't like spit out anti-semitic or like racist speech right um like what does that look like and what is because i don't think we can actually assess the technology until we see yeah. what the full capacity of it is yeah. right otherwise what we're getting is very funneled things right now yeah. there is a chance because open ai doesn't tell us what it's doing that it has a that they got a very very good had a very very good idea of what people like me are going to, or people like you know who are on Twitter who have a lot of followers or or influential tech thinkers are going to ask it to do, and that it got really good at doing those types of things, and everything else it'll just say I I don't I am not going to do that right which is kind of the experience that people have with this thing right? right like they have an experience where like a whole bunch of stuff it's just not going to do right, right. like uh, my friend and I tried to get it to write like criticism of Yale law school and it wouldn't do that. You know, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a provably evil institution. <laughs> like you can't criticize Yale law school. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? You know? Um, and I'm sure there is a version of GPT that will criticize Yale law school. Right. Like, um, but it might spit out nonsense. Right. Like I have no idea. Um, right. And that, uh, it is weird to me to see people sort of do that mirrored effect thing that we talked about or that the verge talked about where they sort of see themselves in the text when the text is designed to be a mirror, right. By, by open AI, I think, right. Yeah. Like where it's not supposed to show you all the crazy fucking shit that it can pun out. Right. Yeah. And it sort of is nerfed to not do that. Um, I don't know. Like that's where, like, that's where like my skepticism sort of, ends up right where it's just like i i don't know like i don't know this thing that we're seeing is like this amazing thing but it is so specifically designed to appeal to people like me that i don't i don't even know what it is at this point you know right i don't know that's, that's so so i i think one thing that i'm optimistic about is that this okay the basic things that they're putting in here should not only be doable by open ai and I already know there are plenty of people working on making their own. Right. Um, and this, this happened with, you know, OpenAI had one of the first text to image uh, tools called Dali. Right. Um, and it, they actually lost that market to uh, other companies, Midjourney and Stable Diffusion, which actually were able to replicate 
you know, the same technology, do it slightly better, make it more artistic. And I think that those are more popular than uh, the original Dolly. I imagine something's going to happen with this technology too. And we'll get to see what it looks like, what these weird, uncensored, unfettered chatbots do. I think that's only a matter of probably weeks before we yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right? Well, somebody already made a right wing chat. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. the, the other thing, Jay, did you see that there was an article in um, in Time Magazine that tried, I mean, a lot of, you know, like, like we know with most things that are fronted on the internet, a lot of it, the work is done on the backs of other people who are very low paid. And I think there right. were a lot, there was maybe a, an African company that was outsourcing work to put in the guardrails for like w- when it was allowed to say and not say things. Yeah. Content uh, moderation. Yeah, yeah. It's going to have the same content moderation stuff that like YouTube and. and well, but uh, no, I think ChatGPT already had that before they released it. They put in all that work. The thing I don't understand because I don't care enough to follow it super closely. Is this clear? Microsoft didn't do that. Like I don't. There's something happened where they took. Yeah, the I don't really understand AI. that either. It's the same company, kind of Kinda. at this point, right? So, yeah, like, it was weird. Yeah, and I think like that's why I think the Bing thing was more interesting, and that's where I feel like maybe I like the, it, like my sort of. It's interesting because it's double-edged sword here, right? Like my sort of skepticism is also, well, maybe the unnerved version is going to be incredible and feel world changing, you know? And like, I, I think that's, I don't think anyone, like the experience that Kevin and Ben had with Bing, right. Compared to the experience that nobody felt unsettled by chat GPT, right. Cause it was made to be not unsettling. Right. Right. But, um, I don't know the other question that I have, which I don't think is answerable, but I find very interesting. I was thinking about today. Which is that if Bing had come out first and been like this, like hostile, weird, like kind of unsavory, shitty chat partner and people kind of hated it. Yeah. Would people have fallen all over chat GPT? I don't think so. No. You know, I think it it like. Actually, there's there's precedence for this because Microsoft released a chat bot called Tay. uh, Not that long ago. And people got it to say all sorts of horrible shit. And then they pulled it. That was that was what was it called? Tay T A Y. This wasn't Tay? that long ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was a few years ago, and it was, this was a disaster. So apparently, they don't learn lessons. Yeah, Microsoft. what is Microsoft doing? Microsoft. I, I, I think Microsoft mostly. Uh, it's funny. It seemed like this was mostly just a way to poke Google, right? I mean, they really wanted to say, "Hey, we're going to step ahead of you right. and transform the search business." The thing that's funny is that this is a, these things are terrible for search. Like, yeah. The first thing that everybody saw with ChatGPT was that it would confidently say completely wrong things. Right. Like, that's, I don't want a search engine that does that. And then Microsoft was like, we're going to power search this way. I know. I know. It, it was interesting that they were like, it was like uh, when everybody was attaching blockchain to everything. Yeah. You, know? like, <laughs> you think they missed the metaphor there. But I think the, the other problem, though, is if you take search out of it, there's no money behind this. Right. Like, of all of the things that they want to use ChatGPT for. Like, like you said, maybe buys you that sliver of efficiency that allows you to be a better worker bee. But even my friends who love this technology and think it's amazing can't really come up with a use case that's like that. That's the one that like creates all the money, which is usually right, 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 value. right. Like, how are like if you think of any industry that is not you know coding, right, or copywriting, right, yeah. or law. 
What Even they... law. The funny thing about law, I talked to some lawyers about these things. What, what they said, and, and whatever, take this with a grain of salt, uh, because they're lawyers and we can't trust them. But uh, what they said is that most of the time when you're writing legal copy like this, uh, everybody knows you're just going to put out boilerplate. And it's just that the two parties want a lawyer there writing right. the freaking thing out in the contract or in the, the legal decision. So it, it's this weird thing where it's like we it's credentialism that gets embodied by just pages of pages of worthless text. It's amazing. Right, 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 right. It's right. amazing. Yeah. A computer could generate all of it, but then you need to go through and everybody has to read it and strike certain words that are unhappy for every party. It's such a weird social construction. Oh, yeah, 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 so yeah, money. yeah. And then they charge you by the like it also goes against the fundamental business model of the legal profession, which is to charge you by the hour. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right? That's, like, right. <laughs> That's right. I think they're going to be fine. They, right. they, they managed to survive. Right. Um, and guess what other industry works like that? The ad industry, right? Do you know how the ad industry yeah, business man. model works? At least the one, the ad agency that I work for, which is like one of the biggest ad agencies in the world. Like they charge the company, we're going to put all these people on this project, right? And all these people have a very important role on this project, right? And you are going to pay each line item on this budget for these people to work on your project, right? If you say... Nine of these people are, have been eliminated by chat GPT and there's only one person to put on the line, then you've lost like 90% of your budget or whatever of the like human capital that you're going to charge this company for, right? And so oh. why would the ad agencies use this product, right? Oh. If anything, they're just going to try and convince every marketing person in America that like this thing is bullshit. It just puts out bad stuff. Do you want to be differentiated from the chat GPT ad copy? Yeah. Then like hire us, you know, and like maybe some in the end, like there'll be some like bloodletting and some people will lose their job because some of the marketing people won't believe that. But I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing for <laughs> society. Too, you know? Like, I just don't see like the huge, the huge downturn in that. I don't know, but whatever. Okay. Um, thank you for coming on the show, Ben. Like this is, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, that was great. Um, I'm sure is there we'll anything have... you want to do? Do you want to promote your Twitter? I really don't want to promote my Twitter. Okay, yeah, I'm, don't. I'm, I'm, yeah. That's it. But but I'm sure we'll have more stupid AI to talk about in the in the coming months. I yeah. the, the thing is I don't see it going away. Um uh so you don't but, see it like having a metaverse type life cycle. Where in like the, a the year and a half so it's weird like that. Is it's kind of got that's the thing I don't know. I guess that's where we're supposed to close. It's like have we have we hit this weird culmination where this is the end? Uh, from from my standpoint, there's been a, I've been in the middle of an AI hype cycle for a decade. So it's funny that it's now percolated up to the surface and keeps getting called AI again. I've thought it was going to pop a long time ago in my own personal sphere, and it hasn't. So who who knows? Yeah, it is interesting. I don't know. I just keep coming back to what this that idea that we need better science fiction, right? And that would be good. ultimately, I think that maybe what changes people's minds on what the potential of this stuff will be will be like a very powerful piece of science fiction right? right? Um, where we don't just think about the Terminator anymore. We think about whatever this next thing is. Right. And, um, you know, I wish I could write that, but you know, it's beyond my talents. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on the show for everybody. Uh, you can support the show for $5 a month at goodbye.substack.com. Tammy will be back next week. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but we'll be talking. Thing. um and uh 
Ben, uh, yeah, if you actually know, Ben, we are not going to promote your Twitter account. Now, that's a very good way. Now, everyone's going to go seek it out. <laughs> we'll see. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, it's time to say goodbye, pod at gmail.com. Uh, until next week, bye. One day, one day.